Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 136 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a strikingly beautiful and multi-talented woman who, at just 33, has already lived many lives in show business and is experiencing a career renaissance right now, the singer-slash-actress Mandy Moore. Moore first burst onto the scene in 1999 as a teen pop sensation in the mold of Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera following the release of her first album, So Real, which featured a catchy single called Candy that spent 20 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 list. Unlike her aforementioned contemporaries, however, she resisted being packaged and sexualized and instead gravitated towards and displayed a talent for acting as well. She ventured into films, with small roles in big projects like 2001's The Princess Diaries soon giving way to larger roles in smaller projects like 2002's A Walk to Remember, an early Nicholas Sparks adaptation that proved a hit. Over the ensuing years, she continued to put out music, including in 2007 her fifth album, Wild Hope, the first for which she did her own writing, and movies, ranging from 2004's Saved to 2010's Tangled. But around the start of this decade, things began to dry up for Moore. She attempted to pivot to TV, but three pilots, into which she poured her heart and soul over three consecutive years, were not picked up, and eventually she began to question if she should even remain in the business. Then, in 2015, just as she was about to throw in the towel, a script for the pilot of a show written by Tangled writer Dan Fogelman crossed her desk. And she was so taken with it that, despite her doubts, she decided to audition for the part of Rebecca Pearson, the matriarch of an unusual family. The rest, as they say, is history. This Is Us was brought to series by NBC and became the biggest critical and commercial hit from a broadcast network since Empire, following its debut last fall. Moore's assignment wound up being even more complicated than she'd originally expected. She portrays her character at 27 and 66, very different times in her life emotionally and physically. But the skill with which she's handled the challenge has earned her the best reviews of her career and a Best Supporting Actress in a Series, Limited Series, or TV Movie Golden Globe nomination to boot. An Emmy nomination may be next. Over the course of our conversation at the London West Hollywood Hotel, Moore and I discussed a wide range of topics. Among them, how a kid from Orlando who was known locally as the National Anthem Girl landed her first record deal. Why she wishes she could refund everyone who ever bought her early music. How acting first entered the picture and compared to making music as a passion. Why her decision to switch from being a blonde to a brunette marked not only a physical but also a psychological turning point in her life. How being a part of This Is Us, through which she channels some of the pain and heartbreak from her own past experiences, has enabled her to reboot her personal and professional life and much more. So, without further ado... Let's go to that conversation. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. And we always begin just with a basic one. Where were you born and raised? And what did your folks do for a living? I was born in Nashua, New Hampshire, but I moved to Orlando, Florida, where both my parents are from when I was about six weeks old. My mother was mom. Not just mom, I right. feel bad saying yes, that, yeah. but she was she was full force mother for uh, me and both of my two brothers. And my dad was and still is a captain for American Airlines. And were they at all responsible for your early interest in no. music? Or where did no. that come from? I have no idea. No? My parents are not only not musically inclined and not even like artistically inclined. Right. They didn't even really listen to a ton of music growing up. <laughs> like I don't have fond memories, like maybe listening to the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac and gosh, I don't know what else. Right. But they weren't. They, yeah, they, music was not a driving force. So for in you, their life. was there something that happened that I have read there might have been? Yes, yes, a musical. I went. My parents were wonderful enough to send my brothers and I to a small private school in Orlando, and the school had an emphasis on the arts. Like mm-hmm. every kid had to take music and drama class, mm-hmm. and every sixth grader participated in the sixth grade production of of a play that they chose mm-hmm. and worked on all year. And when I was six in first grade. I remember seeing Oklahoma <laughs> at the Bob Carr Auditorium, which is like where all the touring the Broadway shows came through in Flor- in Orlando. And I remember just being entirely mesmerized with the girl on stage who, who played Lori and saying, oh, what a beautiful morning. I remember like turning around in my seat and craning my neck like around to look at the entire <laughs> audience who was captivated right. by her. And I guess selfishly, that idea really stuck with me. I was like, I want to do that. I want to make people feel that way. So from there, what happened? I heard you were like the national anthem girl and you're doing a lot of stuff locally. I did. Well, I went around the house singing Oh, What a Beautiful Morning and songs from The Little Mermaid and trying to compare myself to Ariel and to this girl who sang the song asking if I was as good as them. And that sort of transitioned into me asking my parents for quite a number of years if I could get voice lessons because somehow I picked up on that, that that was what one was supposed to do if they wanted to sing. And my parents reluctantly agreed to that after like probably a year, a year and a half of me asking. And then I would scour the pages of the Orlando Sentinel, they had like an audition hotline that I went live every Friday and would talk about all the upcoming auditions. And I would like wait on this hotline and listen to any role that potentially could like work for someone my age and ask my parents to schlep me around town to these (laughs) auditions. Then I transitioned into singing the national anthem (laughs) and became like the national anthem girl in Orlando, like the de facto national anthem girl where I sang for the Orlando magic and then because of that, I sort of got the opportunity to sing at every other sports team that played in the arena there. Right, you've been so, to the top already. Oh my gosh, so, so I yeah. did like the arena football, <laughs> ice hockey, roller hockey, I did everything. So when you said you were going for auditions, at that point that was commercials, voiceover type stuff? Or? Um, Yes, but even before that, just like local theater local productions. Theater. Okay. Yeah. So what happened, I guess you were about 13 years old. Take me through this this day where I, it sounds like there was like literally a magic moment in a sense where you're recording a demo of it, yeah. I believe, mm-hmm. which I don't know what your ambitions were for what that demo would lead to at that time, but you're recording it and what happens? I am recording a demo with two gentlemen that I had met after singing the national anthem okay. at an ice hockey game. And they approached me as I was walking off the ice and said, have you ever been in a recording studio do you want to record a demo? And at that time, I had I'd never been in a studio. I had no idea like what that experience would be like. If anything, I my greatest dream was to be on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have a career like Bette Midler. Like mm-hmm. I thought eventually, like if I could get on Broadway and then do movies and right. TV and music and like everything that she sort of has done in her career, that's what I wanted. And 
So I agreed. And these guys said, you know, if you're willing to pay for the studio time, we have mm -hmm. songs that we've written and we can all collectively like work on this demo together in hopes of sending it off. And I, my parents, because I had worked on a couple like, you know, local commercials, had some money. And my parents said, this was the summer going into my freshman year of high school. And they said, if you want to use some of this money and set it aside and go in the studio, go for it. So I was in the studio for probably two or three days when I got word that a FedEx delivery guy who knew the, the people that owned the studio, but also had like a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who was the head of Urban A&R at <laughs> Epic Records in New York. He was going to send this demo off to him and see if he liked it. Because he had just heard you. He had heard me while he was in the studio delivering stuff. This is Victor. This is Victor. Okay. I hadn't, there's, first of all, there's no way that it, I, it was terrible. It had to have been. I'd never <laughs> been in the studio. And you know, like hearing your, your, your voice sort of amplified like that for the first time, it was, I was so confused. I'd so disoriented. <laughs> And I, I, I think it affected like how I sang. I, it just must have been terrible. So he did me the greatest favor in the world and like helped, helped my music it. find a home and meet this man David McPherson who flew to Orlando and and signed me when I was fifteen. And as a result of being signed, pretty much all of your life was very different after that, right? So yes. from a school living, all of this situation. What, maybe you can take me through. What were the biggest changes? I signed like at the end of the year in 1998. Mm -hmm. So I was a freshman in high school. I left school to be homeschooled. So that exponentially changed everything. Right. My friends didn't even really know that I sang because I was just starting high school and you're just sort of forging friendships. Yeah. And people were not aware that that was a part of my life. So I remember hearing from people <laughs> coming back after the Christmas holiday break, <laughs> the teachers would still call my name and, you know, friends of mine were like, she's gone. She's not in, <laughs> she's no longer enrolled in school right. here. So that was a huge dramatic turn. But then I like immediately, I remember I flew to New York. I recorded most of my first album in Orlando so I could be home, which was great. Mm -hmm. But there were a lot of trips out here to LA, a lot of trips to New York, like meeting producers, meeting songwriters, trying songs in the studio. And it was, it, it, yeah, I, I remember shortly thereafter, the summer of, of 99, I came out to LA, I made my music video for my first single, Candy, yes. and then that night I flew on a red eye across the country to Virginia, or to Virginia Beach, Virginia, to start the first leg of opening for NSYNC. And that was it. And my life sort of just like the machine was roll, the ball was rolling, the machine was on, and I, I kind of haven't stopped since, yeah, in a way. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's 18 years ago. Yeah. Your first album... So Real sold more than a million copies in no small part because of Candy. People were very into that song. <laughs> I guess uh, so. 20 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 oh. list. Did you or the label anticipate that, I mean, that level of success with the first one out? Well, I mean, I, I think it was successful to a certain degree. And I'm very, very appreciative and grateful because it's the entire reason I'm able to sit here and chat with you today. <laughs> but it, I, by no means did I ever find the success that like my contemporaries did in the music world. You know, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera were always the people that I was sort of grouped in with. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, that makes complete sense. But they were far and away so much more successful. And uh, so I, I can't pretend to know with that degree of success, really, how that influences your life. But it did open doors for me, my own sort of bit of success. And yeah, I mean, it changed my life in every way imaginable. Just as long as we're on the topic, did you and Brittany and Christina cross paths? Did you see each other? Were you really. friends? Did you see each other's competition? How did, what was that all like? Well, I never saw them as competition. It, no? <laughs> and I'm sure they never saw me as competition. <laughs> no, I mean, they're the, they are and were the best at what they did. I, first of all, a terrible dancer. And Brittany has that lockdown. Christina's got those pipes. And so I was never like, I was never going to be either of those two. And I knew that. And thank goodness I, you know, had a home and a record label that knew that as well. And no one sort of pushed me to be anything or anybody other than myself. But we never really crossed paths. Like even to this day. You don't really know them. I No, I don't know them at all. No. Wow. No. So as this all was taking off, were you enjoying it? Were you just sort of bewildered that this was all happening. What was it like for a person who at that point was 
15? Yeah, I was 15. It's so funny. I was just talking about this the other day with some friends. I don't feel any different now than I did feel then. I think I was always aware of I am incredibly lucky to be in this position and I'm not going to take it for granted, but I'm going to take advantage of it. I mean, I guess my life was just meant to take a different trajectory than, you know, my friends and people that I was in school with. I, who I was talking to friends about this the other day, and I was like, I really wish that I had had the experience of going to college just to have four years like off the record where Mm -hmm. I could have discovered my favorite poetry Mm -hmm. and my favorite music and movies and like have a fully formed sense of or more of a sense of who I was. Because I I think I started so young and was sort of like thrust into an adult world willingly. Mm -hmm, Like I mm -hmm. knew what I was up against and what I was doing. But I just, I wish I'd had like a little bit more time to kind of like, yeah, figure out who I was. Did it affect things like friendships and things where I get now, you know, as you said, you're going, it's a difficult period, first of all, for anybody going, you know, going into high school. But that's when a lot of times you're. I think most relying on friends and people that, you you know, and here you're now in a way, weirdly, because everybody knows about you, but I feel like you might have felt a little isolated. I never felt isolated. I never felt sheltered either. Like I was still very much allowed to be a kid. I was talking about this the other day too. I remember I was dating someone at the time. I was like 16 and we had very like su- like a very sweet innocent relationship. We'd like go to the mall mm-hmm. and we'd go to CPK and this like This is even after your Yeah, young. exactly. And I think I was very I was allowed to sort of live out those years as most of my friends did. And I still like I still had those touchstones back in Orlando and then I made friends out here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. as well. So I I felt like I had like all of the trappings of like a normal, you know, childhood or adolescence in a way, but without like the social aspect of going to school and prom and all those sorts of things. One of the things that people have written about, and and I wonder if you agree, is that Brittany and Christina and some of those others who were, I guess, contemporaries, you know, coming up in the same trajectory, roughly, that that you were, they became in their lyrics, their appearance, their behavior... Just in a lot of different ways, they became very sexualized, mm-hmm. and yet it seems like you less so. You, I wondered if that was. It doesn't mean that people didn't find you attractive or all those other things. <laughs> just to be clear, I'm just saying yeah, that you know, was it that you were less willing to be molded in that way, or or had, why was that a was that a conscious? I think it was only a conscious decision in the sense that. I was always just going to be myself Mm -hmm. and no one pushed me to be anything other than that. And I knew even at that time how lucky that was that Mm -hmm. I didn't have someone standing over me like some Svengali who's like, this is what you're going to (laughs) wear and this is what you're, how you're going to answer questions. And it just wasn't, I'm sure that was very much more a part of who those girls were. They're like two or three years older than Mm -hmm. me, which makes a huge difference in the life of a young woman anyway. But I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, and I wasn't having sex like I wasn't I was still like a young girl so like I think which seems that's what was weird about (laughs) when it's done to other people that are that young but but. maybe they feel more comfortable and I never would have and I think that is it's transparent and people can pick up on that and they know they can see it a million miles away and it's not authentic and what's worse than that you know you got to be yourself right so as the singing was taking off, you began to take, I guess, your first steps into acting. Yes. There was initially the voicing a character in Dr. Doolittle 2, <laughs> then the playing the crude popular girl in The Princess Diaries. <laughs> yes. And then starring in what I think was your biggest part yet in a movie that many people really still love, the Nicholas Sparks adaptation, A Walk to Remember. Yes, sir. So had acting always been a dream equal to singing or had singing just opened up other opportunities and you thought, why not pursue them? Well, no, I mean, Broadway was number one. Mm -hmm. And I always thought like, if I get that opportunity, then I want to try my hand at everything. And music is just, you know, by dumb luck was the thing that sort of started it all. And I knew though, if I was able to find any amount of like even mediocre success with music, if it allowed me to get my foot in the door in the acting world, it was something I wanted to explore as well. It sounds like A Walk to Remember was sort of a transformative experience (laughs) in some ways. And actually 
just based on something else I read, I want to ask you, sure. what happened to your blonde hair? <laughs> <laughs> because it seems like that actually marked a more significant turning point than just let's do something different, right? Sure. I think it was important for the role that uh, Jamie Sullivan, the character I played, was not a blonde. And I remember distinctly having conversations with Adam Shankman, our director, and he was adamant that, you know, my hair change and... It did, it shifted everything in my life at that point. I mean, I was 16. I turned 17 while I was making that movie. And it shifted how I felt about myself. It certainly helped me feel more in character for whatever it's worth. But I think I liked seeing myself like that. I was like, oh, this, I was coloring my hair to be a blonde. Mm. It wasn't a natural blonde. And oh, you I was like, okay. No, no, I was like, ah. Oh. I wasn't as dark as I, right. I, I was in the film. My hair's sort of somewhere in, in the middle. But I think I discovered... I felt more like myself as a brunette, which sounds ridiculous, but I sort of, you know, took that and ran with it. In some way, was it shedding the idea that I am this teen pop person? It's like, I want to, I'm a different person. Absolutely. Yes. That was not lost on me. I definitely knew the, the ramifications of, of, you know, ditching the blonde hair and what that sort of meant perception wise. So not to, this will probably be the last time I bring them up, but no, no. Brittany and Christina, they, this is uh, more than I've talked about them in years. I love no, it. Well, the only reason I'm, I bring them up now is that they, because they were so much more tabloid fodder and all this sure. other stuff, people knew and wondered a lot more about their personal lives, yeah. I think, than yours. Mm-hmm. And I wondered, do you actually think that when it came to acting, that was an advantage because when people don't know much about you, sure. Maybe it makes it easier for them to lose themselves in your character. And I think maybe it speaks more to the success that they found in their respective, you know, field in music, just how popular they were, that I think it is difficult for people to sort of lose themselves in when they know so much about someone, not even their personal life, but just know them through one lens. And I think that's where not having nearly the same degree of success with my music really was an advantage for me because people are like, oh... Oh, yeah. I mean, do you know what I mean? I think they were able to lose themselves in me potentially portraying a character because I just wasn't on MTV every five (laughs) seconds. (laughs) Yeah, that was it's it's interesting, like time capsule also for all of you guys, because the music video, I guess, is not really. Yeah, that art form doesn't exist anymore. But that was so central to people identifying who people are and their music. And absolutely. Yeah, it's how you sold yourself, I guess, in a way. It is weird. Yeah. It's just in a short amount of time. It's gone. So in the meantime, while you were doing more of the acting, was your interest in singing at all fading? I remember reading that the the label had sort of resisted your idea, I think, for the set. I think it was the second album where you wanted to do covers of like 70s songs, which is not probably their first preference (laughs) of what you do to capitalize on your breakout album. But you were you were adamant. I was adamant. It was a couple of years later. I think I'd had like two albums that came out in between then, but still, yeah, it was not a highly received idea <laughs> with the label bosses. And that was, I think, the beginning of the end of my relationship with there, which was fine. Right. But I really had to follow this, like, this muse. I had started, sort of started discovering, like, Joni Mitchell and Todd Rundgren and XTC and Joe Jackson and, like, Carly Simon, all this music that... I didn't grow up listening to, and I fell in love with it. And I'm like, wow, if I were able to do my own interpretations, like maybe I'd be able to potentially introduce a whole new, like younger generation yeah. to this music that is so fantastic and classic. And yeah, so I'm I'm glad that yeah, I was able no. to do it. But it's sure it sort of marked <laughs> the end of my music career for a while, well, which and, was fine. That was a fine note to go but, out on. No, but but then the next step wasn't the the le- when you left epic and go yeah. to Warner Brothers, that's yeah. where you first wrote your own songs, right? Yes. Yes. And that was a big thing as well. Yeah, that was a big step in the right direction. And it took time, but it was kind of, it was worth the wait for me. And at that point, you would get around that time, you gave a, at least one interview and maybe a few others where <laughs> you were reflecting on your earlier days, breaking into the business. And it, it was your opinion. I'm not necessarily agreeing here at all, but you said... <laughs> Your first two albums, quote unquote, sucked. This was your your yes. interpretation, and that you wish you could give a refund to anyone who had bought them. Did you really dislike them that much? Did <laughs> there was a lot of garbage on there in my estimation? Even candy? Come on. <laughs> sure. No, I'm. I I don't mean to discredit or disparage anyone that worked on those records. They did. They they did a fine job. I I just like I look back on that time period, and there's certainly cla- more 
quote unquote classic sort of pop from that time period. And I don't know if I necessarily fall into that, that categorization, but I, yeah, I would, if I had the money and people (laughs) took me up on it, I'd refund you if I could afford it. So, (laughs) so with, with the, you know, progression of time here, there was, there was, seems like even more of a a focus and emphasis on the acting side. Mm -hmm. And so you know, a lot of people remember Tangled. That was yeah. a good one where you're you got to sing as well as voice act, and and that was great and a hit. But then you've you've talked about the fact that I guess starting around 2012, you were part of a few TV pilots that require a lot of time and effort and and emotional investment. Yeah, and then did not come to fruition come to at fruition. all. Yeah. So that it sounds like from what I've read was a pretty brutalizing experience that even at a certain point made you question whether it was worth sticking with the acting. Yeah. I really was, was, you know, interested and compelled to want to throw my name in the hat and my hat in the ring for, um, you know, getting involved in the medium of television. I, there's, I just think that it's the glory Mm -hmm. days of TV. The Mm -hmm. best stuff is happening on television. And the idea of, I was married at the time, like being home and, you know, this idea of like getting to go and having like a regular job and being able to like, you know, have this character sort of evolve over potentially, you know, season after season. I It was such a lofty idea looking back now <laughs> that like it could just potentially be that easy. So I remember I developed something the first pilot season and it got picked up to be made into a pilot and then ultimately like got down to the very end and then didn't end up getting picked up for to series and then the next season I went and did something completely different the first time it was a half hour like single camera comedy and then the second time it was an hour drama so this was family trap for ABC and then the advocates for CBS yes so it was like Ben McKenzie and Bruno Heller and he was still doing the mentalist and it was like all these you know, like incredible people involved. And same thing. It was like, I felt really good about the work and I loved the idea and potentially seeing it come to life as a series. And then it didn't get picked up. Mm -hmm. And then the next season I went and did a pilot with Tracy Ullman and James O'Day for CBS, another single camera, like half hour comedy. And it was really funny. I mean, it's Tracy freaking Ullman. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? I was like, this is a no brainer. I want to see this show, even if I weren't involved. And it didn't get picked up. So Slowly after, you know, three seasons of, I don't mean to talk as some like, you know, silly actor and how (laughs) terrible that my life didn't go on. But you're right. It's like, this is my job. And like, if this is what you're basing your entire year pretty much around That's what it like, would take to do a pilot? Yeah, it's like, well, it's like, cool, from from the, you know, fall, potentially if you're developing something and, and getting, you know, ideas cooking and getting that picked up and writing it and blah, 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 or just throwing your yourself out there, putting yourself out there for pilot season from January to, you know, May, let's say, it really occupies so much of your time. And if you're really committed to like, this is what I'm going to do, like, I want to be a TV actor and I'm going to like sort of put myself out there for pilot season for for that to not ultimately end swimmingly three, four years in a row, that sense of rejection did make me start to question like, is this the right field for me? Should I go back to music? Should I go back to school? Should I, I don't know what I'm doing with my whole life. I, it felt like I didn't know what this X factor was, but I couldn't get things going. And I would look around me and see things happening for other people. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like you really do, you try not to take it personally. And everyone says it's not personal. They're just trying to fill, you know, a, put a square right. peg in a round <laughs> hole and blah, blah, blah. And, but it's, it's impossible not to take it personally and go like, this is on me. Like this has something to do with me. Especially when it's not from, from what I understand, like you get a detailed explanation for why they didn't take a sure. pilot. So what are you supposed to do differently? Exactly. There, I, there was never an answer to my question whenever I would pose that question. And so it was really just about going like, okay, well, I'm going to have faith that the right job is out there. And in the meantime, like, I'm going to figure out other ways to sort of rebuild my sense of self, (laughs) sense of self-worth and find things that I'm really passionate about. And it more or less sort of solidified this idea of like, okay, well, then I going into this, this next pilot Mm -hmm. season decided I had switched representation. I was with the new agency Mm -hmm. and we all collectively we're on the same page and decided like no network pilot season. 
there wasn't like, it just wasn't worth it. There probably wasn't going to be anything good. And this was like in the fall of, of, of 2015. Okay. And, it, you know, we weren't even looking, we were just looking forward to January through March or whenever pilot season starts. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, TV is happening year round now with, with all the different mediums yeah. and platforms from which, you know, content is out there. So let's concentrate on those sorts of things and not like typical network. And then I remember a week later, I get this untitled Dan Fogelman project <laughs> that was like, this is going at NBC and Fox is producing it. And I was like, what? <laughs> I love Dan, but isn't right. this everything we just talked about? Like, we're not going to go for it? And we should just note, Dan also wrote he Tangled. He wrote Tangled. Wrote Tangled, yeah. So we knew each other, yeah. and not terribly well, right. and this was also five years before that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he was in the studio, in the booth with us every time we did like a record for Tangled, so I knew him fairly well, but right. not well enough to just be like, hey dude, can you give me the part? <laughs> Which I've well, read out there, some people are like, Mandy and Dan work together, and she just got the part because of that, I'm like, I, well, by no the way, way, I auditioned. The part in Tangled and the part in This Is Us are not like nearly <laughs> know, related. Like, so. She played Rapunzel, so that's an <laughs> it's obvious it's for, for Rebecca. somebody that can play 30 years um, of range, yeah. But I, so I remember Remember, I was like, why did they send me this script? Like, oh my God, just had my heart broken again. <laughs> right, right. And then I read it and fell in love and immediately like got on the phone with everybody and was like, when can I go in and meet and read and do whatever I have to do to be a part of this? I love this project. So that's an interesting point for, for you know, a lot of our listeners are not people in the business and they would maybe assume that that if you're many more, you just, no somebody wants you, way. you take a, you get a part. You no. don't have to go audition like well, everybody else. First of all, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> Maybe if you're Jennifer Aniston yeah. or something. But for most actors, right. that's not how it works. And there's no way that they were just like, hey, what about Mandy? Like, <laughs> I was auditioned, like, I'm sure 50 million other women. But I, I just responded to it so immediately. And I know that I sort of got in there early because I went in and auditioned for John and Glenn and Dan, our directors, and and Dan, who created the show, and felt fairly good about it. And then the feedback I remember getting was, they really liked you, but they're going to go and see a bunch of girls in New York and read some more girls out in L.A., so it's probably going to be a while. And I was like, okay. So as you do as an actor, you're like, all right, well, let me forget about that job. (laughs) And I did until they came back around about a month, maybe a little longer, and said, okay, So they really did like you and they're going to bring in a couple other girls and there are a couple of guys and they want to see chemistry chemistry reads between, you know, these like different permutations, different groupings of people. And I was like, okay. And I remember getting a heads up before going in that Milo, Mm -hmm. they loved Milo and Milo was like the guy to beat. So I was like, okay, all right. Well, (laughs) I mean, I don't have to worry about that, but I went in and Dan had written The monologue, for people that have seen the show, the monologue that I give in the second episode where I am berating Jack for not being home and and, and, and drinking and not being good parents and Mm -hmm. the whole, like, we should be an 11, we should be, you know, we're a nine at least, that's what the kids deserve. Dan had actually written that monologue and so he had given it to us to, like, go in and, and, you know, tape before. So I went in and did that and then they called me in to read with Jess Milo and I thought, I hope this is a like good sign because mm-hmm. they let me go after that. And I didn't read with any of the other gentlemen there. And I was like, I think this is a good, I think this is a good indication, but I didn't know. And I immediately loved Milo, mm-hmm. but it was also that thing of like, you already pretty much have the job. So like there's a different, <laughs> right, right. and maybe he didn't know that, but I knew it. So right. like, there's a different energy there, right. but he is just so winning and lovely and open and it's hard to like, I knew that so much of this relationship and the show working hinged on these two characters having chemistry Mm -hmm. and you have to like fall in love with them and root for them and believe in this marriage and this family that they create. And I felt instantly comfortable with him, which is not always the case. Like it's our job. We have to like sort of dig in and like, you know, pretend to be all lovey dovey with someone that you've just like shaken hands with. But (laughs) with him, it was like shook hands he like nuzzled right into my neck and like we went into the scene and it was so seamless and easy. And I just thought, oh God, I really don't want to get my hopes up now, but I, I hope I get this. Like, I want to work with this guy. He's so like, wow, what a force, mm. you know? So aside from working with him, what excited you the most about this? I mean, you had not, from from what I can tell, played a wife or mother before. Never. And 
you certainly hadn't played somebody that had to be at thir- at ages 30 something years apart. I didn't know that then though. You did not know that then. No, just the pilot. The pilot is what it is and um So you had not even been I had warned. no idea that like I I figured that the story was going to sort of move forward from, you know, maybe Jack and Rebecca taking the babies home from the hospital and sort of just seeing their life unfold yeah. in that sort of form in in chronological order. I had no idea until the show was picked up that, you know, I don't think any of us really knew that, like, we were going to be sort of jumping around in time. And it wasn't until probably three weeks before we started shooting that Dan wrote me an email and was like, I have this crazy idea. (laughs) I really think I want to see you try and play Rebecca in present day. So that would include, like, you know, going through hours of prosthetics every time we needed you for an episode in, in present, you know, present day. And I remember, and he's like, and if it doesn't work, if it's not like, if everyone is not a hundred percent on board, we will, we will absolutely try and do the best like casting ever and find an actress, an older actress to play, you know, this version of, of, of this character. And I remember thinking like, no, Dan, I'm going to, I will, we'll get it. I really like I'm game. I, as long as you are happy, then I'll be happy. And we had to go through like six or so different like crazy hair and makeup tests where like the first one I think I was I looked about 85 <laughs> and then I looked about 55 mm-hmm. and then we sort of found like right in the middle yeah. we, we Goldilocks did let's go back for a little bit before that for one second when did you find out that you got in the part or how did you find out and then subsequently that it had been picked up was there was oh, it just yeah. an email or a call or what was it no we uh I found out that I had gotten the part like I would say in early November of 2015 knowing that we weren't going to shoot until like January mm-hmm. at some point we were early so this was like an off-season pilot mm-hmm. because Dan was doing another show and I, I think John and Glenn were doing a movie mm-hmm. and so everyone sort of had to f- shift their schedules around so I found out in November and was entirely beside myself and elated but also like tempering my expectations because I'm like I've been here before right. I've really loved a project not like this the material was so elevated and so above and beyond I thought whoever else they get to play these these characters like they'll have to be you know remarkable because mm-hmm. the material is so remarkable so the pilot shooting it Milo and I shot the very first two days of the whole like I think it was a three-week shoot we were, I was like in and out and then Dan and Glenn got a bunch of the cast together in April and like Glenn showed it at his house to like Milo and Chrissy and Justin and Sterling was working, of course, <laughs> so he wasn't there. And we all watched it and were floored like, whoa, mm-hmm. because clearly like we just knew the little fractions so of what were, we were yeah, involved yeah. in, but seeing the big picture of like with the music and, and Dan and Glenn were like, and and John, sorry, John was there too. Like they were, the three of these guys were like so beside themselves with pride. Like they were so, Dan's like, this is my favorite thing I've ever been a part of. And so we were just really taken aback by their enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. But still, this is April and we didn't find out till like, you know, the day before the upfronts that we were picked up. And, which, are, which are when? Which are like the May 15th, wow. 14th. So we found out like just like refreshing online, like <laughs> looking online to see stories of like right. what's been picked up. And and I, I, Milo and I were texting each other back and forth like, did you hear anything? Did you want to hear anything? And we hadn't. And then when we finally got the call, like I remember he was the first person I called and we were both like screaming and so excited and like can't wait to be a part of this together and yeah that's great yeah well not to hopefully get too too personal here but you you know the a lot of the show is is about a family having a roller coaster of yeah. an emotional existence you've talked about a, a, a bit of a roller coaster not yeah. long before this yeah. is it weird or upsetting or anything ever to have to or is it actually cathartic to then go and channel that through a a character. I feel incredibly lucky that I have a job that allows me to take all of my emotional baggage <laughs> and pour it into this role. And I did and I have and I will continue to. Like there is a real there is a real catharsis for people watching the show, but I think for us as actors, it's like we are able to sort of like examine our own life lives and choices and the decisions that we've made and and sort of evaluate them through the lens of mm-hmm. these characters, but yeah, there's no shame in my game. Like that's what I do. I bring yeah. all of my life to this part and this character. And sometimes it hits really close to the bone. There were certain scenes and 
bits and pieces of this season with Jack and Rebecca that like echoed things that I've experienced in my own life, like almost to a T that wow. just blew me away. I was like, Dan, how Amen. did you get in my mind? <laughs> I'm freaked out, entirely freaked out. But it's, yeah, I, I just, I think my lucky stars every day f- just to have this job and to be a part of this, but that I am able to have this really nuanced, like rich, creative, like, you know, collaborative experience. And, and the writing is so off the charts and top notch that like, you know, you really don't have to, to do much as an actor, but bring just a little bit of your own life to sprinkle in there. One other thing that I think you, you chose to bring to it was that, you know, they're going to, obviously when you're playing the present day version of Rebecca, you're going to have your prosthetics and things done on you for how many hours will that take? Like Like three and a half, four. Three and a half, four. That's a lot. But in addition, not that 66, which I think is her present age, not that that's that old, but you do move and behave. People physically are a little different as they age, right? So was that something that you were thinking about as well, that you had to prepare for in its own way? Yes, I definitely did. I tried to, to do as much as I could before we started shooting, just sort of from a physical standpoint, but also like emotionally. I mean, this is a woman who has lived a life. She's lost a child earlier in her life, a spouse. Mm -hmm. She's been remarried. She has grandkids. She's watched her kids grow up and get married and divorced. And so like that's a life lived. And I overwhelmed myself initially thinking like, how am I going to bring this to the table? Like, you know, by episode two, when you first meet present day Rebecca. And then I sort of took a step back and was like, you know what, I'm going to answer like, and give myself like the answers to these questions that I have and give myself as much information as I need to know. And like, and not ignore everything else, but like, just take it as it comes. And like I said, Dan and our incredible writers do such a magnificent job of giving us so much material and so much to play with that, you know, it is our job to bring so much of this to the table and the backstory and to ask them questions and, and whatnot. But yeah, I really thought a lot about physically, like you said, she's 66. So in my mind, I'm like, she is still super agile. She's like in the prime of her life. She's, you know, I'm sure like loves being a grandmother Mm -hmm. and like really relishes that part of her life now and, and loves Randall and his family and everything that they bring and not as close to her other two children. And But I think there's like a, like you said, the physicality that changes, like there's a groundedness and a clarity that, and wisdom that comes with age and time that you can't, there's no substitute for. So I really think a lot about that and like how purposeful her steps are as Mm -hmm. opposed to like, you know, when she's younger and she's a mom and I thought about her energy as weird as it sounds like emanating from her hands at that point Mm -hmm. in her life. And as she gets older, it's sort of like transforms and starts like emanating from the top of her head mm-hmm. just because there is that wisdom and clarity mm-hmm. there. Interesting. And yeah. you also referenced something in terms of the foreshadowing or whatever, which I want to ask about because it seems like TV, a TV series, an open-ended TV series like this, yeah. unlike a play or a film, you don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. So maybe you know a few episodes ahead. I don't know. I'd love to know that. But also just when you don't know where you're characters going to end up or, or, or what they're going to encounter, does that make the challenge of acting harder than in those other mediums where you can shade a performance in a certain way? Or yeah, because you re- know the beginning, middle, and right. end. But then again, in real life, we don't know what's coming. So. Yeah. The, the only thing that's different about this particular role, at least for like Milo and I, is that we are jumping around in time, right. whereas, you know, the rest of the actors pretty much, it's like they're just chronologically like living their life right. and it's unfolding as we see it on, on screen. But they, you know, our writers have done and Dan has done such an incredible job of like at least laying the groundwork. And I'm assuming that they'll do this season by season. Like we walked in the writer's room initially before we started, you know, filming season one, the second episode. And it was like a beautiful mind, like the the sort of family (laughs) timeline around the ceiling in the writer's room had like every milestone moment. So we all had to be on the same page and know because it directly influences, obviously, but whether it's Chrissy or Justin or Sterling, like the choices that they, they yeah. need to know what happened in their childhood so they can carry that with them yeah. present day. But like we obviously need to have as many of those, you know, questions answered as well because we're jumping around in time. But like I said, we have a basic idea. Like 
I remember Dan from from the beginning that the show got, you know, once it got picked up and talking from literally that second episode, he's like, the last episode's going to be you and Milo and it's going to be Jack and Rebecca and it's going to be them separating. Mm-hmm. And like he knew that and it didn't waver and it didn't move and I really appreciated that. So it's like he he has a real distinct vision and clear idea of who these characters are and where they're going and he won't deviate from it which I appreciated that yeah. even with the you know the success that we've been lucky enough to find like we sort of are pretty steadfast in what we're doing but so we have an idea and like they'll tell us as well you know if we have work if we have questions right. about like do I is it you know do I need to know anything else in the next right. couple episodes like we'll get a heads up like you know and with the with the shooting schedule I mean I know films are shot all out of order with a TV series like this where the chronology is jumping all over. Will you guys shoot all the past stuff at once and then the present? Or it is also all over? It's all over. Oh, God. Yeah. Episode by episode, it varies. I mean, they. it's, yeah, no. It's just because there are eight, like, you know, principal actors in this yeah. ensemble and with everyone's schedules to contend with, like, they just, they take us when they can get us. <laughs> is making the show anywhere near as emotional for you as it is for the people watching it. Yeah, it, it is, is for all of us. Yeah. Like we all get emotional reading the scripts and the few table reads that we managed to have this year, everyone's crying. Like it really, it hits all of us. Like it's a pretty universal, like cathartic experience, I think for the audience and for all yeah. of us working on it, even like, you know, the crew, like it really hits us all. You had said that you, like the word cathartic, but you didn't like the word escapist to describe this show. Is there a reason for that? <sighs> I don't remember saying that, but I don't. <laughs> I don't think it is really escapist. I think the, the the success of the show can be attributed to the fact that like people are able to work out the choices that they've made in their lives. Like they, it's like holding a mirror up to yourself. Like you can identify with maybe not necessarily the characters, but the challenges and the obstacles that they're facing in their life. And it's, it sort of forces you to reflect on your own life and your own challenges. So I don't, I don't think it is escapist. I think it's, it's something bigger than that. I think that's what people are sort of really connecting to. What's interesting though also is that it comes along at a time when because of the yeah. proliferation of pay and premium and now streaming, it seemed like TV viewers were increasingly over the last few years gravitating towards those and the anti-hero and some of the darker yeah. stuff. And yet... And our world has shifted. And the world has shifted in yeah. November yeah. And, and with other things. But, you know, this was not where... This was not the sort of show that was on paper a likely bet to be as successful with reviews or ratings as it has been just yeah. because... People were, it seemed like, moving in a different direction. Why do you think this has defied the odds? And along with Empire, it's basically the most successful thing on broadcast. Which is mind-boggling <laughs> to all of us still. I think you can't discount the fact that the country was in need of something like this right now. Like you said, things have really shifted over the last couple of months. And I think people are in a time where we have no choice, but like we are being divided, whether we want to or not, there is something really uniting and unifying about the message of the show. And like families come in all different packages and it's not exactly what you expect. And I, I think people are looking for a way to sort of like a place to turn with their emotions and their confusion and, and whatever else is sort of happening in the zeitgeist of the world right now. And I, so I think like so much can be attributed to timing, but I also don't want to discount the fact that like, I just think the show is really well written mm-hmm. and, and you know, I'm lucky to work with what I think is the most impeccable ensemble and troupe of actors out there on television. Like they are all so remarkable in their own right. And it, they elevate already elevated material and just the whole, like it all sort of worked. Yeah. The whole picture from behind the scenes to on camera, the writing, like, so I can't discount that as it's, it's just this confluence of, of good fortune. And, you know, we should also point out though, in terms of the ratings, what's, what's actually amazing is your show debuted in September, September yeah, and ran through March. And in the course of those months, unlike a normal year, you've had a presidential election season <laughs> yes. you, with with the ele- with debates and all kinds of things. Which, like, our programming, it was like, we're on. Now we're off. Right, now we're on right. this week. And now we're at a different time. And now we're before the boys. Then yeah. there's the World Series. Then there's 
the holidays. Yeah. Then there's all these things that... And then we're off for a month. And then, then you're off yeah. for a month. And <laughs> these ratings were achieved in spite of that. If those things hadn't happened, they probably would have been even even greater, which is which is amazing. So it's just it just further emphasizes or, or further, you know, is a testament to the fact that there's really a connection between the audience and this show, which is mm. that doesn't with all those other obstacles to still, you know, be where you guys are is pretty amazing. And I guess it's a real show of confidence in what you've been doing that after only the first 13 episodes aired, they went ahead and picked up season two and three, which just doesn't happen, right? We were all just surprised. Yeah. Yes, we were completely shocked and still are, but... It's a, so, but it's good because I guess the audience then... I think Knows that there's an investment. Yeah, and they've they, felt burned a lot lately with I'm shows sure. they liked. You know? I'm sure, absolutely. And I, I, I can certainly understand that feeling, but yeah, we're just... We're so endlessly grateful that the show is connected and resonated with people in the same way that it resonates with us. Like it means as much to us as hopefully it means to people out in the world. Like we take our job seriously, but like we really, we care and we know how lucky we are and we like handle it very tenderly. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, it's a big deal for us too, I'm you know? Sure. Well, just as the last question, first preface by a little statement here. Show, as we mentioned, critical and, and ratings uh, hit. Recognized at the Critics' Choice and Golden Globe Awards as a series, but with the Golden Globes particularly, you you now get nominated as a Best Supporting Actress. With Chrissy. With Chrissy. All of this on the heels of what we were talking about where, like, not that long ago you were ready to potentially walk away from even doing this. <laughs> like, what, are we, like, two years ago? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so just basically as a final question, how has the success of this show impacted your life professionally? Are there, I'm sure there are many more people that want to work with you now. And also just personally, it sounds like it's like hitting the reboot button in a way. Yeah. You're, that's such a great way of putting it. I feel like my life has been rebooted <laughs> in the best possible sense. Right. The, the satisfaction of like, we all have to work, but the fact that I'm able to go to work every day on a job that I relish so much and I'm so appreciative for and I love this family that I get to work with and but certainly yes on a on a you know from a career standpoint the opportunity to go like okay cool like potentially this will open the door for me to do other things mm -hmm. that I want to do I mean this is my priority mm -hmm. first and foremost but yeah, sort of Dan Fogelman changed my life and him giving me this opportunity to play Rebecca and to be a part of this cast, it has allowed me to do what I've been wanting to do and trying to do for so long. And I, I'm just thrilled and can't wait to see what it, it no, leads to. No, it's so great because I mean, like as, as you've, you yourself have acknowledged, there were maybe a few years there were, where you were potentially I was take in, out of the game. You were to take I yourself was, out of the game. I was. You were, 100%. you know, it was sort of on like whatever happened to Mandy Moore. And here, here you go. So <laughs> I could have been on like that VH1, VH1 show. <laughs> Not anymore. Oh, no, so. Damn, I missed it. <laughs> you missed it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.